I'm very, very conscious that if you were 25 or under, you didn't get voting last time round. Fair. And if we didn't have an election this time round, you wouldn't get voting until you're 32. On one level, you may say, well, so what? Sure, it's just the presidential election. But I think that's to miss the point. Welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and I'm delighted to welcome my guest to studio today, TD and leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald is here. Mary Lou, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here. Oh, fantastic. So we are going to kick things off with our favourite game. So it's called Six Words or Less. So you have to describe yourself in six words or less. So in your own time. In my own time. What can I say? Fantastic. Fabulous. Joking. Friendly. Okay. Feminist. Feminist. Stubborn. Oh, I thought you were going to go with all Fs. I thought this was going to be no, no. I, I, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. No, stubborn. Resilient. <sighs> okay, that's good. Determined. Nice. We may have passed the six words here, but keep we going. We have, but I mean, keep going. That's Mary me. Lowe. That's me hyping myself up. I mean, my critics might choose six entirely different words, like it's a pain good. in the. <laughs> <laughs> whichever piece of the anatomy you choose. Well, it's a good thing they're not in studio then. Precisely. I suppose a lot of those words probably help when you have the job that you have. So you took over as leader of Sinn Féin from Jerry Adams back in February of this year. We are going to talk about your political career in a moment. But first, let's go back a little bit. So what was your dream job when you were growing up? Well, I, I suppose, firstly, I grew up in Dublin at a time when, you know... I suppose I'm looking back 1970s, 1980s. Dublin was a different town than mm-hmm. it is now. I suppose it wasn't as diverse. It wasn't as colourful. It wasn't as as mixed. Um, it was probably a more um, buttoned up yeah. uh, type of city in a much more buttoned up type of uh, society. So I, I don't know if I, I book a trend here, but I didn't have a specific thing like, oh, I want to be a teacher. Right. Teachers are great, by the way. Mm. Uh, or I want to be a doctor. Or I, I had, um, I had actually, I have to confess, no sort of set life plan. Okay. Like I, I didn't have myself in little boxes like I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. I knew I wanted to go to university. I studied literature in the end. I always liked books. I liked reading. I liked writing. So I always knew the things I liked and I always wanted to pursue those things. But I didn't have an end point. This is what I want to be. You know, when I grow up, I want to be. I, I maybe at times would have thought of journalism, actually. Yeah. Funny enough, Niamh, yeah, yeah. or those kind of jobs. But... I didn't have that set fixed in stone plan. I don't know if that makes me very odd or if that makes me very normal. No, but that's I don't, how I, I don't was. think so. So why politics then? What, what was the turning point that you realised that this was going to be your career? Well, I, I would have grown up in a household that was very political uh, in as much as there would always have been talk and debate around things that were going on and not just domestically, but also internationally. My mother is very plugged into the world mm. still and she certainly was uh, then as a as a younger woman. So it was very normal for us to debate things and to have very highly, highly, highly opinionated views on things. So in some ways, politics was easy for me okay. to you know the idea of ideas and and all of that and and taking a stand for things that you care passionately about uh, so the politics bit was probably inevitable the political career bit mm. to put that in inverted commas not so much and truthfully some of it happened by accident um, what was not accidental was my decision to join Sinn Féin I did that very deliberately 
<clears throat> I don't come from what would be called a traditional Sinn Féin background or Sinn Féin family. <clears throat> but and when you, I you were in Fianna Fáil as that's well, that's right, in the 90s, and that yeah. that would be the the sort of I suppose in the typical Irish political scene that would be where my family would have come from. But I wanted a political party that was very serious about social justice, mm-hmm. not just lip service, real delivery. And I wanted a party that was absolutely serious about Irish unity. So Sinn Féin for me was and still is the perfect fit for my for my politics. And then the thing of running in elections, very simply, I was asked. Somebody asked me yeah. to do it and I said, well, OK, at the time, um, you know, I, I hadn't my kids yet. I was I was kind of freer uh, and I had the time and the capacity to do it. So I said, well, why not? So I took a chance. I was asked and I took a chance. So since you entered politics then, has the field changed for women? And if so, how so? Well, yes, um, in as much as there is now much more open debate and a bigger public consciousness of women in public life or the absence of women in public life. Yeah. That's now a talking point. That wasn't always the case. Uh, but no, uh, in that we are still in a position of considerable disadvantage. And listen, I'm not doing the poor me thing. I'm not one of the... I don't subscribe to the poor us, us poor women. I subscribe to a view of us smart women, us able women, um, and us women taking our place and having our voices heard. I I subscribe to a very um, assertive and positive view around changing the balance in political life for women but I'm not naive it's still it's a big big task and you look to the doll when you consider that we as women are more than 50% of the population that women now are well educated and you know represented in the professions and business and you know every facet of life and yet there is still this bottleneck in terms of us finding our way into the doll, into the Shannon, onto local councils. It's actually, it's one of the things that I kind of struggle with because I do feel like it's important to ask women who are in significant jobs and roles in the public atmosphere about the work-life balance, but I actually hate asking that. I know. I hate asking that question. So I'm going to phrase a little bit differently. So what were some of the most significant personal and maybe professional decisions that you had to make in order to get to where you are? So I appreciate that you don't like asking me that question. I don't like question. asking No, and I understand. Yeah. I understand why. And you always hear the thing of, well, men don't would they get ask asked. a man? Well, they just don't get yeah. asked that. Like, But I mean, But fine. I also want to tell you that a very important component of my life as a person, mm-hmm. but also as a politician, is the fact that I'm a mother. Exactly. I have two children. Mm. That's just, that's a fact. And when you have family responsibilities, whether you are a woman or a man, but let's face it, traditionally more for women and mothers, it just means that you have additional joys and happinesses, additional responsibilities, and sometimes you have to call things. So I have missed um, school plays and hurling matches and parent-teacher meetings. Not all of them. I am not. I just don't want to alarm your listeners. Um, <laughs> I've I've managed to get to some, but not all. And sometimes, yeah, you make decisions or you have to be places and you would prefer to be somewhere else. But let me say this also, that's not unique to politics. Yeah, I'm very, very conscious that women in other walks of life, and I don't just mean professional jobs, I mean people working on factory floors or, you know, in, in other areas also have to make those calls. But it is a fact. I don't think we should run away as women 
mm. from the fact that our biology is such that lots of us, not all of us, but lots of us will choose to be pregnant, to have children and that that brings a whole new set of demands for us physically, mm-hmm. emotionally and that that has an impact on our working lives. That should not be chalked down as a negative. Yeah, That should be chalked down actually just as a reality and in fact as a positive. So although you don't like asking the question, I'm always more than happy to answer it. That's a good, that's a great answer. <laughs> so regardless of gender, you are the leader of Sinn Féin now. So what do you think quantifies a good leader? Um, I think uh, a mixture of decisiveness and patience. Okay. And that might sound in some ways like a contradiction in terms, but it reflects the kind of balance that you have to have. You have to have a sense of purpose of what you're doing. You can't be dithering and messing. And Irish politics has fallen victim to that a million times and more. When you say dithering? Dithering, I mean dodging things and doing endless reports and leaving them on shelves to gather a dust or kicking the hard questions into the long grass, like the issue of the repeal mm-hmm. and the the whole issue of abortion and women's reproductive rights. Yeah. I mean, how, how often did that get kicked down? A lot, but does it bother you that politicians are kind of known for dodging? Dithering. Oh, it does. Yeah. It bothers me a lot. That's why I'm say, saying... One of the key things you have to is be, to not do you that. have to be decisive. You have to be a person who is willing to make a decision. And then the second bit is patience. You have to actually give yourself and others the space to make an informed decision. To actually understand that you're not always 100 percent right, yeah. that there are other views in the room and that you're better off with a collective leadership. You're better off being open and taking the time to benefit from the wisdom of others. But then ultimately, as the leader, there are things that you have to call. And if you're afraid to call them, you shouldn't be the leader. When you say patience, did you find in the kind of steps that you took to becoming the leader of Sinn Féin, did you find any barriers in particular because of your gender? And do you think that women in general in this society face significant barriers because they're women? Yes, and um, yes and yes. Well, I mean, yes, probably yes and yes. And, and the, the bigger yes is because the if you survey society and you ask yourself, well, how is it that, for instance, we're talking about politics. So how is it in political life we're still significantly underrepresented, north and south in Ireland? Mm-hmm. How is it that we haven't had a female Taoiseach? Why is that? It's It's not because women are any less talented or at this stage any less well educated it's because there are structural barriers in the system so we have to be realistic about that but then we have to say right well how are we going to get over under or around those how are we going to confront them and remove them because that's there's no point in us feeling sorry for ourselves although sometimes we probably have good reason to we actually have to have collectively as women we have to have a plan and we need to support each other and it is good to talk about it then if there are structural so for, for barriers. Exa- yeah. Absolutely. So, for example, for me, <clears throat> now as the leader of my party, I'm very conscious. I don't want to be one of these, what they call, I'm all right, Jill. You know, the oh, I'm all right, Jill. Yeah. Instead of the oh, I'm all right, Jack, that's kind of says, well, I've made it. Mm-hmm. It was tough for me. So, sister, it's going to be tough for you. Yeah. I, I, I think that is completely wrong. I think for, for, for women that have if you like, made it and mm-hmm. have found ourselves 
in positions of leadership, we have a huge responsibility to facilitate, to encourage, to mentor others and in particular other women. So Michelle O'Neill, who's my deputy leader, um, a Tyrone woman, uh, she and I have talked about this a lot and we're very clear that our collective leadership has to be about facilitating women, but also about facilitating younger people and facilitating more diversity, more diverse uh, views and voices into Irish politics. Sinn Féin itself, my own personal journey, (coughs) were there barriers? Of course there were. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I joined the party, um, it was very male, very traditional, great people. Don't get me wrong, people that I count as 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 friends. But it was a, a particular kind of atmosphere that has changed beyond recognition over the last 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, it's a different party now. <clears throat> and one of the noticeable things is the number of younger activists that we have. Now, there's been a whole... We haven't just had a change in leadership. We've had a generational turning of the wheel. Mm-hmm. So we have... We are blessed with the number of younger people, young women, talented people, ambitious people who want Ireland to look different and who are prepared to put in the hard graft to make that happen. I always ask um, our guests when they come on, we've had authors on, um, we've had Olympians on, I always ask about whether they would encourage their children to go into their career. So what would you say if your children, you know, were saying that they wanted a career in politics, would you encourage that or would you give them any sound advice? Well, I, I'm sure. Or would you say absolutely don't do that? You're mad. Oh no! Listen, if you met my two children, you would appreciate that my telling them to absolutely not do something would make them <laughs> would all make the, them more determined more, yeah. to do okay. it. So they they'll make their own calls on on these things. Um, and if they were determined to do it, I mean, I'd say, well, go for it. I, I would like to think that they would be doing it for the right reasons, right? Because politics isn't just like another career in which you aim for success and and influence the things that we do and the decisions that we make shape and form and influence the lives of the entire country of the entire nation so you have to have a sense not just of kind of a burgeoning ambition to get on you have to have a sense of your own social influence um, and responsibility as well and a a huge level of responsibility I mean my, my children are raised in an atmosphere that is about inclusivity, respect, equality, classic Republican values. I want them, I hope, as parents, that we we do a good job in terms of them, you know, really living to, to that, that set of values. But as regards po- sort of po- political views or what they might or might not do, who knows? And who knows? let me tell you, they'll, they'll make up their own minds. And of course, as a loving mammy, I will encourage them every step of the way. OK, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Girls With Goals. To catch up on all our previous 41 episodes, you can head over to Spotify and search Girls With Goals or wherever you download your podcasts. Okay, so we are back with Mary Lou MacDonald. So Sinn Féin is fielding a candidate for the presidential election. You've announced that in the last Mm -hmm. few days. So tell me, why are you doing that in the first place? Well, for lots of reasons. I mean, the president is the first citizen. It's largely a constitutional role. Some people would say to you it's just symbolic, it's just ceremonial, but it is the first citizen. 
and they are elected every seven years mm-hmm. and I think for the first citizen I think it's appropriate that you have an election I'm, I'm very very conscious that if you were 25 or under you didn't get voting last time round Fair and if we didn't have an election this time round you wouldn't get voting until you're 32 so on one level you may say well so what sure it's just the presidential election but I think that's to miss the point that this election particularly allows for a very necessary national reflection and conversation about where we are and where we're going. So in the seven years since the last election, lots has happened. We've had marriage equality. We've had repeal of the Eighth Amendment. We've had a whole new discussion uh, open up around women, for example, in society and our role. And we've Brexit on the horizon. We've big changes in the north of Ireland, in demographics and politically. We have the prospect of big constitutional change on the horizon. Absolutely. Uh, a referendum on Irish unity. There's no sense of that in, in the political discourse. So for me, the presidential election gives you the pause moment and gives you a campaign that's not about who will go into government with whom, what the coalition will look like what we should do on tax, you know, on all of those sort of bread and or housing or all those bread and butter issues, but allows us to have a much deeper and much more important, I think, conversation about the direction of the country. And you, you've said that Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Labour don't want to give people a say in a presidential mm-hmm. election. Do you not think that perhaps people don't want one? Michael D has done a stand-up job and he's he's very much beloved in the country. I mean, uh, do you think that maybe people are considering whether or not if a Sinn Féin president is in there that perhaps it might be party before yeah. country? So let me just say the, the current president, President uh, Higgins, has done an excellent job. And he's, in fairness, each of, of our presidents, Mary, Mary Robinson, mm-hmm. Mary McAleese, Michael D. Higgins, outstanding. I mean... You could not fault them. They have represented our country very, very well. And now the term of office uh, is over and we look to the next seven years. And the debate that we will have is important. And I think it's important that people are given choice. Mm -hmm. You see, the political system can be a bit self-serving and a bit lazy. Um, The other political parties, in my view, don't want an election, not because they think the current president is wonderful, although that may be their view, but because they don't want an election. And there's something fundamentally problematic in a democratic society if the political parties get to decide, well, listen, guys, we don't want an election. We could speculate on public opinion on whether elections are wanted or not. I'm always struck by the fact that uh, politicians and political correspondents will tell you when they don't want an election that people don't want an election. Generally when you get out on doorsteps you find it's a different dynamic and people want to talk and I I think we're in an atmosphere now in Ireland of maximum potential for social and political change. I actually think that people want to have the debates. I think that people want to discuss the issues. I think increasing numbers of people, particularly younger people Mm -hmm. that I've instanced there, want to change the country. And I think we need to give them the opportunity to do it. And it's it's not a reflection. Any of the previous presidents you would acknowledge, and I would absolutely acknowledge, have done a very, very fine job. But let's have the debate and let's have the campaign. And so we're not going to know for a little while who the candidate will be. Is that right? No, we uh, we took a decision uh, at the weekend that we would contest. And now what we need is the method by which 
a candidate would be identified. Obviously, we're a very large organisation mm-hmm. and our grassroots and the party have to be involved in the selection of the candidate. So we've appointed a committee which is chaired by David Cullinan. He's the TD from Waterford. They will go back and in a number of days time, they will come back and say, look, this is how we're going to go about it. This is when nominations will open. This is when they'll close. And then it'll be a matter for <coughs> for a convention to be held and the candidate identified. Um, let's talk about Brexit for a second because you are under a little bit of pressure today to get back. We don't really cover Brexit a huge amount on our okay. site, if I'm being completely honest with mm-hmm. you, Mary Lou, right? That doesn't mean that we don't understand it and that we don't know what's coming. But if you were to explain it to us, right, there was a vote in Westminster um, on the customs bill in recent days. So this is the thing that's creating the issue for us and it's to do with the backstop arrangement. Okay. Um, here it is in shorthand. Yeah, let's the, take it back. The British Tories want out. Mm-hmm. The vote was had. The people went for that. The people in the north of Ireland voted to remain. So that's the first thing to have in your head. People in the north of Ireland have not consented to Brexit. Why does that matter? Well, it matters a lot because the Good Friday Agreement signed 20 years ago um, makes it very clear that any big constitutional change as regards the North has to be consented to. Mm-hmm. Now, when the agreement was signed, they were thinking about the relationship between Britain and the North. Right. But in terms of the European Union, in our view, the same the same standard and rule applies. So the British Tories have been acting the maggot, to put it bluntly. Okay. Um, they haven't entered into negotiations in good faith. The Irish side and the Europeans agreed this thing called a backstop. So the backstop is to protect the Good Friday Agreement, to make sure that there's no hard border to on the island. To a hard border, yeah. The British initially agreed to that, but then they said, no, we don't agree to it. So all of the trouble started as far back as last December. Okay. The trouble was amplified again in March. The trouble was amplified again in June. And we've had more of the chaos in Westminster. I'm not even going to try and explain Westminster to people who have no, uh, who are not conversant with Westminster. I can simply say this. The, the, the Tory government has its own internal difficulties. But more to the point, the Tory government does not care about Ireland. Ireland is not the priority. Ireland was never a priority or a consideration. So for us as Irish people, the action isn't so much at Westminster. The real concern is the negotiation between the British government and the Europeans. Westminster don't get to decide unilaterally what the agreement will look like. They, of course, will decide British, the British direction and British policy and that's Tory in nature but the real action will happen when a European team headed up by Michel Barnier gets into negotiations with the British. Because the fact is is that this vote is now affecting the people of Ireland whereby initially when Brexit happened well not that we didn't think it was going to affect it but things seem to keep changing so what is going to happen in your opinion over the next few months will it settle when this initially happened and the Brexit vote came in I think there was a bit a lot of wishful thinking on this side of the pond Mm -hmm. we were desperately looking for some way that we could make it stop we can't make the British stop with their Brexit right that's just beyond our capacities what we can do through our own government and also working with our European partners is to make sure and to insist that Irish interests are protected. That was to happen in March. It didn't happen. That was to be secured in June. It didn't happen. 
Uh, we're now looking at the next big European meeting is due to happen in October. And what we have said to the government, and we've tried to be as supportive as we can be to Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney and to the government, because this is a big national issue. It's not for petty politics. We have to get this right. But we've said to them repeatedly, be careful, be careful, be careful. You're letting this drift and drift is dangerous. We should have had an answer to the Irish question in June. The, the British put a stop to that. And now we're in drift and we are firmly of the view that we need uh, a council meeting, a European summit in September because we need an answer. It's dangerous to let this drift because mm. the whole thing could become derailed as much by accident as by design. I mean, I I spend a bit of time over in London and I speak to people who are my own age over there and a lot of them don't even know what's going on with it. I mean, I don't know. It's a mess. That's why I, I mean, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually, I, I personally feel very, very sorry for lots and lots of young people in England, in Wales, in Scotland. Scotland voted to remain, bear yeah. in mind, mm-hmm. by a huge margin because the implications of this Brexit are enormous. They're not, they're not they're, it's not just a, a short term thing. They're long term and they're deep to lose the capacity to live, to work, to study right across the, the continent for anyone is a big a big deal. For young people coming up through school and yeah. college and so on, it's, it's And I mean, everything that we were talking about earlier with, with regard to politics and stuff, and then when something like this happens, do you see how that can reflect negatively on politics in general? Because there's so much talk, it's coming from all different angles, it's very difficult for young people to understand it. So, like you said, it is a bit of a mess at the moment, but <laughs> Do you, do you think yeah. that with more European intervention that it can be turned around? I think, uh, and I am sure, that what we need to turn this around is a very, very strong, firm stance from our government in Dublin. Mm. And we need our partners in Europe to stick with us. They have said that their policy on this matter is what they have called Ireland first. Now, in one way, you might say it sounds a bit chauvinistic. It's not great language, but what it means is that they are standing with us for an answer that protects our island north and south, protects our peace agreements, protects our industry, our commerce, our service provision, all of the above on, on our small island. So the the issue here is to remain firm in that stance. I think that Mrs May, I've said this to her directly, and her government were hoping and are still hoping that either Dublin blinks or Brussels blinks or somebody blinks that allows them to get some crazy, chaotic scheme or plan through. And we have to be sure that we don't let that happen. And by definition, that process is messy. Like there's no, if there was a neat, straightforward way to do this, you would find the neat, straightforward way to do it. But when you're dealing with a government that is very divided internally, and that is acting for British interests and for English interests primarily, well then obviously as Irish people and as Europeans, you're going to have to argue the toss of them. There's no polite way of doing this, although we will endeavour for politeness and diplomacy. Ireland has to be firm. Okay. Before I let you go, because I do know that you are under time pressure, there's a couple of things that I want to ask you about. Speaking of British interests, the British royal family, Mm -hmm. did you watch the coverage of Meghan and Harry when they were over? I didn't get to see the coverage and I didn't get to meet them. Okay. Um, I had met Prince Charles a number of weeks ago. He was, it was a very good meeting. Mm-hmm. It was actually, it was a very frank meeting and a very friendly meeting. And I had hoped in particular to meet Meghan Merkel. Not because she's a royal, but because she is Rachel Zane. 
from oh, Suits. You love her. So I haven't seen Love Island, but I have seen Suits every single episode, and I totally love her. Really? I think she's amazing. So yeah. you're happy to have her in the royal set now? Well, I'm, I, I hope she's happy in the, in the royal set, mm-hmm. certainly herself and uh, Harry seem to be blissfully happy. Well, it's the honeymoon period. Yeah, exactly. So. The first they say the first twenty years are the hardest. No, that's oh, too cynical. Christ. <laughs> um, so uh, no, I think I think she's I think she's uh, amazing and probably a most unlikely royal. Yeah. But there you go. She's already breaking royal protocol, which I find quite nice to see. But Sherlock, we'll see. Mm. And before I let you go, can I get a guarantee? that you are going to start an Instagram account maybe in the next week because I think people would like people would follow you. Okay, we've talked about this. We talked you about and I, this. Um, yeah. This was something that I meant to do and then I forgot to do, but I'm not going to forget any. I know. Because to have, be fair, I know what I have to do. You're our second politician that we've had on. Minister Harris is on Instagram and he does fantastic boomerangs of washing machines and dogs and everything like that and it really kind of opens up his life so I think you'd be great on okay, Instagram. Okay, washing machines and dogs. Yeah. I can do that. Can you? I can. I can okay. do ironing <laughs> boards and cats. Oh, fantastic. That? Well, we will wait with breath that is baited. Mary Lou McDonald, thank you so much for coming Thanks in. Thanks so much for having me.